How you doing? Mixed emotions. Um, tired. Happy that another week has just been completed. Looking forward to next week, which is a lot lighter. Um, and it's the season where we're sending people off to uni. So very proud. Very, very proud. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm definitely in a space of gratitude and peace. This has been a very chaotic year for most people. And I think a lot of people have been on a bit of an emotional roller coaster, me included. And I've found myself getting to some point of space of equilibrium, which I'm really happy about and I'm grateful for. I think a lot of people during this period have gonna, uh, would have had their resilience tested. Um, and I really do hope that people coming out of the 2020 fiasco are stronger because of it. That's, that's, that's my hope for people. And I'm seeing some really positive signs. I, I do see people who have got more robust families as a result. I see people who are feeling a lot more confident in themselves and what they want out of life, which I think is positive. And yeah, I think I'm one of those people. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely grateful. I mean, it'll be interesting to delve into why, because in, in recent months, it's really been highlighted to me the importance of a positive mental health and how I'm seeing a lot of people who do have mental health issues. And I wonder whether one of the reasons that they do, biasly, is because of some of their beliefs or lack of. Um, so I'd be interested to ask you, what have you seen which has helped some of those who seem to be a lot more positive in this time of fiasco? For me, I think the key piece, and we'll probably touch on this a bit later on in the episode, but I think the key piece for a lot of people is purpose. So we talk about a rat race a lot and people being almost on a conveyor belt where everybody's literally you know, running around at a million miles an hour, but they don't really know why. You see people waking up at six o'clock in the morning to get on the train to go to work at a building uh, and then coming home at about eight or nine o'clock, maybe kissing their partner and going to sleep or going home by themselves or going, going hanging out with friends and then just rinse and repeat. And all the while, not really questioning or giving themselves much time to think about their purpose, about what kind of legacy they want to leave, about what kind of life they want to live. They've just gone through the process of graduating from university, getting some sort of white collar job and yeah, just almost sleepwalking through life. And I'd say the last six to, to, to eight months has really snapped people out of that. And I think the first thing it did is make people incredibly depressed, actually. I think being in an environment where you weren't able to socialize with friends and family, uh, being in an environment where you were stuck in the same building for long stretches of time, not necessarily being able to, to exercise the way you wanted, all probably led to people feeling quite depressed. However, you get to a point, I think, on the other side of it, where you actually have really taken the time to reflect on you, what's important to you, and yeah, what you want to do with your life. And I, I think some people are actually still struggling through that right now. I'd say that there are some people who are probably not yet on the other side, but are going through the cognitive kind of uh, work of understanding that something needs to change. Something isn't quite right. The, 
the promise that we were told in our teens isn't coming to fruition. And if I'm going to achieve that, I need to break the mold. I've said it before. I blame Tony Blair. Um, Tony Blair's uh, mantra when he got into power, and I believe it was 1997, was education, 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 which I think is a fantastic mantra. But what he, what that led to was people who really had no business going to university when they should have been starting businesses or working a vocation were doing courses which they had no passion uh, for, getting jobs that they had no interest in, and yeah, just sleepwalking through life. That's actually the positive story. The negative story is that people did university courses that they had no passion for, and then they didn't get a job. They ended up working at some form of retail-style role or some sort of service industry role, which have now been really punished by coronavirus and therefore are questioning the, the promise that they were given. They're questioning the, the British dream. It's not the American dream, but they're, they're questioning the quality of the British dream. And we're seeing that play out in so many ways, including some of the protests that we're seeing, which in many instances are about injustice but in some instances are about anger and a feeling of disillusionment. Do you feel that we're entitled? Oh, absolutely. Of course. Of course. Um, we are very entitled, especially in this, uh, in this country and in the Western world. Um, if you take into consideration that the vast majority of the planet is on less than a pound a day. And some people may be listening to this. Our biggest concern this week is that our delivery didn't arrive on time. We are definitely entitled. Um, but we're also, I think, entitled to a lifestyle. We believe that we deserve a, a certain kind of lifestyle because we are. And I think as much as I would like everybody to, to achieve a certain level of security financially and materially, there is no guarantee for any of that. And we have to find peace with that, I think. What are you going to say? I find it fascinating because I, I firmly agree that we are entitled. Um, it's, it's human nature to acclimatize to new norms, even if those norms aren't your norms and they're just things that you're seeing hashtag seeing a certain lifestyle on Instagram and perceiving it to be real and then acquiring it and colonizing it as your lifestyle. Mm. So you find a car in a car park and take a picture. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm torn because I, I see what Tony was trying to do. And I, I see how he understood that the way to elevate people from either ignorance, but most importantly, poverty, is education. On the flip side of that, like any political policy, you will have those who either do not completely understand it or execute it poorly. And you're mm. right. There are many people 
who benefited from improved secondary education, college education, um, support in going to college, higher standards of secondary school education, but then went on to university to study degrees which they had no real interest in, but sounded interesting, and at no point thought about what their purpose was. And you mentioned that earlier, and I'm, I'm really interested to, to delve into what is purpose and at what point might someone acquire it? Because I think for different people, it has a, a different definition. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think Tony Blair's biggest flaw is that there was no real strategy behind his education mantra. It was actually quite reactionary. I think what he needed to do in order to make things more impactful is actually identify how the world was going to change. In 1997, we knew that the internet was going to be a big thing. We knew that we needed more developers, more coders. We knew that we knew that the world was going to change. If we could, and you know, this is maybe my full-time job coming into the fore, but if we could model what the future looks like, the way that a lot of the big um, consultancy companies are doing, you know, Deloitte, EY, KPMG, um, even the likes of uh, Atkins and Accenture, these companies are paid millions of pounds a year to say that this is what the world is going to look like in 2030. This is what the world is going to look like in 2040. Well, if we know that, then why are we not subsidizing the jobs, the careers, and the education pathways that are going to be absolutely critical to making that version of the world a reality? And that, I think, was the missing link. Because what we did have was now that you're letting the inmates run the asylum, quote unquote, you're letting people get degrees in things that have no substantial impact on their life. And actually just make them disenfranchised with the world. Because my degree tells me that the world looks a certain way. Or my degree, my degree only really allows me to either have a job which pays me hundreds of thousands of pounds a year or nothing. Like, why not? I'm, I'm reading, on, okay, on the one hand, there's a question around who is responsible for purpose and quality of life? The individual or the government? On the other hand, there's the cyclical nature of change mm. and how is it possible to finitely estimate change? And if it is, how can that accurately be done for young people? I.e., when we were in school, um, IT was learning how to use spreadsheets, even though at that point in the IT world, there was advancements in coding and app development. Now, some of those jobs are just emerging. So hypothetically, it's almost impossible for those kids, us, to be taught that by people who didn't even know it yet or had that qualification, if that made sense. So I'm just trying to think about the other side. Is it possible to teach what hasn't emerged yet or to prep what hasn't emerged yet? And is schooling purely an environment to develop skills and knowledge which will be built upon in the future? Well, what I'd like to, to link back to is probably just the idea of higher education in the first place. Like, I'd say higher education ultimately is responsible for two main types of output. I think they're responsible for applied physics 
and they're responsible for advanced thought. So when I talk about applied physics, I'm talking about all of the sciences, really. Well, let me, let me not say applied physics, maybe that's biased. I'd say applied science. So applied science is your medicine, it's your biomedical science, it's your engineering, it's your um, modeling, it's your um, computer science, etc., etc. That's one of the key elements of higher education. You need it for an applied science degree. And the beauty of the understanding an applied science degree is that the overlap between the applied sciences is incredibly um, thorough. So I did an engineering degree. I had physics lessons with the physics um, people. I had um, MATLAB lessons, so coding lessons, with biomedical scientists. Um, I also had maths lessons with mathematicians, all while doing a mechanical engineering degree. And that's because there are there's a lot of overlap with applied science. The amount of mechanical engineers that I know who ended up going and becoming coders is too many for me to too many for me to count because that type of thinking is easy to apply into other areas. And this is not me trying to you know boost up my my degree, but I'd say the value of my degree is that it has given me a foundation of type of uh, a type of thinking that allows me to step into a lot of other applied applied science areas it isn't going to let me you know apply allow me to be a doctor i'm never going to be a surgeon but the, the 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 type of analytical thinking required to step into some of those spaces is provided for your education isn't the other types of university say again isn't that the sole core purpose of university Yes, ab absolutely. And I think once you actually realize that you've got those core foundational skills, you can apply it to a lot of different areas. Um, the other area I think would be advanced thought, where it's about critical thinking, you know, and this is where we talk about concepts like sociology, English, English literature, um, economics, I'd say is probably on the border between applied science and critical thinking. But these are all focused on how you think. And those people will end up going into education, being journalists, um, uh, becoming politicians. Um, but once again, if you have an English literature degree, for instance, there's no reason why you can't make quite a comfortable transition and do law. Yeah. The, 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 the problem is, is that if you feel like your degree or your experience falls out of those two categories, then the challenge you must ask yourself is, why am I here? Because I've come across a number of people who have said that I went to university for the experience, which is which is fair enough. But the you you are stepping into a space where you are believing in a promise that may not come into fruition. Question. But then the chat. Go for it. No. Whose responsibility is it to provide purpose? It's your is own. It it's the individuals. And I, and I know that sounds incredibly unfair when we're talking about 17, 16 and 17 year olds making decisions about the future, but it is your own. Because if there are any parents listening to this right now, they know how difficult it is to, to, to shift their child's thinking when their child has made the decision that they want to be a um arts major or a photographer for instance and i'm not saying that those are negative things like, you know if you want to do that at university fair enough i'd probably argue in this day and age save the money and set up your own instagram page 
I'm being absolutely serious. Like, in, in the sense that we now have access to a, a platform or platforms and tools that mean that if we want notoriety, if we want visibility, if we are talented, then it's probably best for us to develop, to develop our own networks and create our own um, online presence. And I, I'd even go a step further and say, if you are considering engineering as a career pathway in the future, university is no longer the best option for you. If you're thinking about doing engineering in 2020, university is no longer the best option. It's better for you to get an apprenticeship. So I, I, I do think that, unfortunately, it is the young person's responsibility to make that decision. But what I would say is that education doesn't necessarily need to end once you reach 21. If we've identified the fact that we've gone a longer pathway and it's done us some good up until this point, COVID-19 has taught us that many of our industries are dying and therefore, as a result, we're going to have to pivot. And pivoting may mean going back to school. I'm pleased that you mentioned that the onus is on the individual because a university degree or education as a whole is merely a vehicle and a vehicle that some people choose to get from A to B rapidly or some people choose to have a leisurely journey, i.e. there are many who opt to study university degrees for the fun of it, either consciously or subconsciously. Um, subconsciously for the fun of it when actually they really should be thinking about earning a, a salary, developing a career, thinking about where this will take them, but they don't. Or consciously in that they just have an interest in a specific field and they're doing that. Watch YouTube. Now, watch YouTube videos. Watch, exactly. Now, when that's the reality, I don't blame the uni for that because I see it as restaurants where you are opting to eat whatever you like, whether that meal is going to sustain you uh, for a period of time, or you're going to have caviar and feel hungry again in an hour, that's your choice. Purpose then, it comes from the individual and potentially the family unit. What is purpose? That's something that the person has to decide. And as you mentioned, it's extremely difficult for a young person to actually reflect critically on what their purpose might be because it's something which will evolve over time. Uh, there'll be so many bumps upon the road. And when you have a major bump like COVID, which reminds us all that nothing is set in stone and industries do come and go, that is just the, the nature of human history. Everyone has to find something deeper than a job. Well, you a asked me a question. You asked me a question. You said, um... Where does purpose come from? I want to know what you think about it. Where do you think purpose comes from? I ask a lot of questions that I do not know the answer to. And my kids <laughs> hate it. Um, because I generally am interested in them. P purpose by definition is a definitive end goal. And for us to state that we know it, we must look beyond ourselves because we are, I don't want to say trapped, that's negative, but we are present only in the moment. Mm -hmm. So for one, purpose would be the understanding of their future outcome on a spiritual stance. 
like what is their role in society i.e what are they going to give serve produce for the greater good for others it's what can they acquire right now i'm leaning to the former in terms of what is my act of service to the environment and the community that i'm in and that can only manifest over time it'll be something which i won't actually know in its fullest extent in my 30s or even maybe in my 40s it's only when i look back that i realize actually this is what i believe it to be um prime example so uh, 17 years old, I realized I wanted to teach. Um, and I thought, okay, my purpose is going to teach. I'm going to teach inner city kids who are struggling. I'm going to help them to understand what they could do with their time if they actually had someone who was willing to fight them for them. Purpose. Um, 10 years later, um, I, I delved into the world of hair and beauty and entrepreneurship. And my purpose shifted. And I realized, okay, hold on, actually, I've, I've killed a dream prior to that first one of teaching, which was to provide a certain lifestyle and, and culture for my family. So is it that now I am teaching to educate those around me that more can be done? And those around me isn't just young people who are not related to me. Um, flashback another five years, and now we're working with startups. So I'm still teaching, but has that teaching evolved once again? Is it no longer in a classroom with uh, 14 and 15 year olds? And it's now with people who are 24 and 25 who have degrees and are trying to pivot. What will it be in 10 years time, in 20 years time? And I think that is a prime example of how our purpose, we will have it in seed form already. It will be a characteristic, it will be an act of service, but how it will morph will only become apparent over time. And that's why so many young people will struggle to define it, because my definition is continually evolving, but it's, it centers around one or two key words and actions, teaching, showing, modeling. Yeah, and I mean, just, just coming back to that, I think you're, you're absolutely right that purpose needs to change. I mean, if we look at uh, the Bible as a good example, Abraham, very interesting character. Abraham was in his 70s. When, when, when we actually, when, when the Bible starts to refer to Abraham, Abraham's already in his 70s where he's called into a relationship with God. And I find that really interesting because would the argument be that Abraham didn't actually understand his purpose until he was 70 or 70 plus? Or was it that his purpose was being prepped? This is like it. There are certain things which I think many of us have heard the, the Steve Jobs um, presentation where he, he speaks about how the lines don't, the dots don't connect looking forward, but they do connect looking back. And he was speaking to a group of graduates. And it's such a, a powerful statement, an obvious one, because it doesn't make sense going ahead. And that's why we say do it now, because it won't completely make sense. There will be mistakes. But when you look back, that's when the purpose in its collage image will become complete. But you will always have a fragment of it. 
and I wouldn't say that it changes, but it just evolves. So you have the greater picture. Um, so to those who are completely confused by what we're saying, what do you do which brings about great joy and service? I say service because there'll be many things that you do which bring about great joy, but actually are not productive. Um, I, I had to, I was dragged into a room to cover some year sevens and they were talking about Mrs. Green, which I, I thought at the time was what the acronym for um, living organisms. And one of them was reproduction. Purpose must reproduce. So that thing that you enjoy, which reproduces, which brings about fruit and multiplication for others, that is a sign of your purpose. How we all grow in time, that's for us to discover in our life's journey. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I'm, I'm trying to get to a point of disagreement somewhere. I'm sure there's some areas where we disagree along this route. So let's see if we can dig those out. Um, but what, what I would say from, from what you've said is that purpose comes from our values. So if we think about us as just beings, we've all got our own internal values that nobody can see. It's on our heart and it's what we believe to be true. It's what we believe to be valuable about existence, about life. And these are going to vary from person to person. Some people believe that, you know, the, it, the importance or the most valuable thing um, or the thing that you value most is, you know, family. Some people think that the thing that you should value the most is your environment. Some people think that the thing that you might value the most is material things, material wealth, etc. But once you actually understand what your values are, then I think people who are living in purpose are the ones whose behaviors match their values. I think there's a lot of people who are very maybe disjointed at the moment because their behaviors don't match their values. And as a result, they feel very uncomfortable. They're living a life which actually doesn't match what they believe deep down. And by getting into a place where you're in alignment with what you care about, even if it doesn't give you the prestige of a you know six-figure job or, or or the prestige of a you know corporate role um you will then become a lot more comfortable in yourself because you know that you're not in misalignment if that makes sense most definitely and that's our biggest challenge there are many people who do know the seed form of their purpose but in that seed form they can't see the german whip Mm. They, they cannot see the luxurious lifestyle which they want to attain possibly because it never will manifest but also because they they don't have vision and i think to really grasp purpose you must become a visionary what can you see that thing becoming well How i mean and this is what it serve? But, but this is why I think it's quite interesting with the time that we have now, because I wonder whether the sale of, let's, let's say, you know, Louis Vuitton bags or Christian Louboutin shoes, I wonder how those sales have been affected now that nobody's going out to clubs and parties anymore. That's a very interesting question. A very interesting question because if people say that i'm truly doing this for me then surely those sales would be pretty pretty constant right 
Let's think about tangible examples which relate to us. So things which we have not stopped purchasing, but things that we have. Um, and I'm trying to think of something which I have stopped purchasing or I stopped purchasing during lockdown because it was just irrelevant. Um, a travel card. <laughs> a, that, that, that was one. Um, but one vain example of something which I didn't stop purchasing was the weekly trip to the barbers. I, I still did that. So every two weeks I take my son to the barbers. Every week I would just go get a shave. Um, one, on the one hand, it's opportunity to see my brother. But on the other hand, I know that if I've got a clean shave, I just feel a little bit sharper. I have that 0.01% extra boost mentally, completely um, irrational, complete placebo. But that's one thing I kept. I'm trying to think of things which I let go of, which were irrelevant. And as people listen to this, they might start thinking about the things which they let go of. Because those things which you let go of highlight potentially what you don't need and what isn't integral to who you are. What are your non-negotiables? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm the wrong person to ask here because I'm a minimalist. I cut my own hair even. So like, I, my, my, my expenditure is probably not really shifted very much. You can't get much mon- money out of me in general as a consumer. I'm pretty, I'm pretty hard, a hard nut to crack. Yeah. Um, if something breaks, I'll buy a new one. Um, if my my clothes fall apart, I'll replace them. But um, yeah, I'm not the, the 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 best person to speak about there. Um, no, but that's a valid point because it's not that you don't qualify into the equation; it's that you've already distilled to the core. There's no frills. And I'm not arguing that everyone needs to get rid of the frills and the flair. But if there were no frills, would you be happy? And you are. So the, yeah, well, for the people listening. Interestingly, because I, you know, I spoke spoke with my fiance about this yesterday. Um, I, I, I I became convinced that I've got a maybe slightly worrying relationship with food um, because I I told I told her about my day, which was quite full on, and she she asked me, you know, what are you gonna do to get your win today we talk about wins so what's your win for the day every day we need to have a win not in a kind of maniacal way but every day we should be looking at what's the positive thing what should we be grateful for and my win was two things it was exercise and a great meal good food and when i say great food i don't mean you know deliveroo or uh, an expensive meal in center of London. I just mean a meal that isn't something that I've just had to throw together because I'm in a rush. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just made this really nice pit. Well, I used this really, really nice pit of bread. I made, um, uh, I, I've got a cast iron grill, which I used to make like char grilled prawns. Um, I diced up some, some veg and some cabbage. And then, yeah, just made this really nice, like, wrap which to anybody listening might say okay this doesn't sound fantastic it was so good and that made my day literally made my day because it was a a meal that i'd actually spent time and effort putting together i thought about the flavors i thought about how i'd season it etc fresh ingredients and yeah it just made me happy and cost me virtually nothing really it cost me what was in my fridge um 
and yeah just 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 considering that i think there are there are certain things which we might hold on to which are maybe material or uh, superficial but then there are other things those other things that we actually look at and go this actually makes me really happy sitting down with a glass of wine watching i don't know uh housewives of whatever at the end of my day is the thing that I actually really like or doing it with my partner is the thing that I really like even though my partner hates watching it I love it and I love watching their reaction to it whatever it might be um, those are the things I think we should be focusing more on because those are the things that it's a lot harder for you to lose even during difficult times I could have replaced the prawns and put corned beef on it I think as long as I, you know, put the time and effort to making a food taste nice, I would have appreciated it just the same. And that's the cognitive conflict which many people might be going through right now. In that they learnt what was really important to them during lockdown. They learnt that there were certain things that they were not willing to compromise on. But they potentially may have learnt that actually there's less expendable income or there are few opportunities. And the cognitive conflict is, okay, I, I know what is really important to me, but I still know what I want. How do I find that balance? Um. Um, sometimes we need to look at the, sometimes we need to look at un, under the bonnet so that we understand how the car works and then we understand what it needs. And what I mean by that is we live in a, a, a society which tells us that we need a lot of things that we don't. And if you don't actually know what you need, then you can be tricked. I'll give an example. If I look, if I use that car example, like if somebody comes up to you and tells you that you need to buy a new alternator for your car because your current one is broken many people are going to go okay i guess i need a new alternator because we don't actually understand how the car works we can be convinced that we need something that we don't or somebody might say oh you know your brake pads are worn out so you're going to need new brake pads if you don't know how to check whether your brake pads are worn out yourself then you are at the mercy of somebody else telling you what you need. So the, the, the conviction there, the, what we all need to do really is just to understand how things work so that we can agree on what we need. Because right now we are at the mercy of other people telling us what we need. If, if, if other people are telling us that we need to look a certain way, then I guess we need to look a certain way. If other people are telling us that we need to have a six-figure salary, then I guess we need to have a six-figure salary. Rather than actually looking at what makes me tick, what makes me happy, mm. and therefore what do I need as a result? A lot of us, because it's it takes time and effort and work to actually do, you know, answer those questions, it's a lot easier just to follow a blueprint and say, well, okay, well, if this is what's working for them, I'll just follow that blueprint. The amount of people who I know studied law as a degree who didn't want to be lawyers is immense. So why did you do this? Because people told you that this is what you needed to do. Now, I'm, I'm thinking about those who 
are startups or are on the verge of becoming startups. And the, and the question for them is, great, you now want to be an entrepreneur. Brilliant. Um, I'm all for it. Definitely do it. But the, the girl who's selling lemonade out in front of her house or the boy who has baked odd looking cookies is also an entrepreneur. Um, they're never going to hit six figures, but they are they're doing it and they're happy. Um, have you entered the arena simply because others have? Simply because you've got a friend who has, or you know someone who has, and at some point in your life, you actually equated yourself to be of higher value than that person, shame on you, um, or progressing in your career quicker than that person, and they have pivoted and it's blown up and you're questioning, wait, shouldn't, shouldn't I be doing that? Um, maybe you could, but your variation of it might not be apparent now. Um, I, I really like sometimes discovering why certain things were created because once you discover why it was created you understand why it's so immense um, so we've spoken about e-commerce in the past and we've spoken about Shopify and I was reading about the the founders of Shopify and how the solution they created as we've commented on before was a solution to their own problem mm. they wanted an e-commerce platform for their own business and they just were not satisfied with the e-commerce platforms around. And as guys who were interested in tech and tech people, they just built their own, not for other people, <laughs> but for themselves. Mm. And they realized that the solution they were created actually might help other people. Now, they were already entrepreneurs and you might already be an entrepreneur in spirit. But are you pushing something purely because you think actually the numbers work and I could make money out of it. Um, for some entrepreneurs can do that and they're serial entrepreneurs and that's great and they can see an opportunity to make more profit. But I believe that a lot of people in this time period might struggle and might fail because the purpose behind them doing it is flawed and they haven't waited for their own purpose to manifest so that they can then pounce upon that opportunity to serve the masses. Mm. With that, can I just take a moment to crap on um, multi-level marketing companies, please? Um, I, have, I don't think I've said this on the podcast before, but I, with a passion, despise the multi-level marketing world. I think it is parasitical. I think it is deceptive. I think it's somewhat um, just, yeah, evil, for, for, for want of a better phrase. Because what it does, and we we may, and people listening to this may have been on the end of some of these discussions where we get a phone call or a text message from somebody who uh, is a distant relative who says to us, "Hey, you know, I've, I, you know, I'm doing business and I found an opportunity that I think you would be really interested in. Have a think." Um, these people, you maybe go onto their Instagram page, and their Instagram page is, you know, I'm a forex trader. Look at my lifestyle. I've got Louis Vuitton bags. I'm on a private jet, etc., etc. All fake, by the way, but you wouldn't know it. Um, and every picture of, is of me smiling and being grateful to God for all of the money that he's given me. Um, and you sitting at home are now thinking, well, this person is doing it um, by selling this product or service. And they're offering me the opportunity to sell this product or service myself. I didn't really know that this would 
this type of opportunity would be for me, but they're living their quote unquote best life and I need to do the same thing. Little does that person know that the person who's just um, reached out to them for this business opportunity, quote unquote, the way that that person makes money is by recruiting people to the business yeah. opportunity. It's not by selling products. It's not about Forex trading or any. The only way that these people make money is by promoting a health, uh, a prosperous lifestyle and recruiting other people to go and be, quote unquote, um, uh, fit tummy shape sellers or herbal life sellers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As soon as, you know, as, as soon as they get you as a recruit, then anything that you sell makes them money. And as I said, I think that we are going to unfortunately see an increase in these types of opportunities. Um, and it's very interesting. I think it was Herbal Life. There are some really good documentaries on Netflix about these companies. Uh, if, you, if you just type in multi-level marketing on YouTube, MLM cult, etc., you'll see what I mean. And this is really dangerous um, because what it's telling people is that it's your fault if you're not rich, when actually the um, odds are literally stacked against you. The other element, which I think is equally as toxic, is you going on YouTube. And if you're an entrepreneur like myself, you might get a, an advert for a video which says, hey, you know, I was working this horrible job selling time for money. Now I'm a millionaire and you can be too. Just buy my training course. Selling and dreams. It's selling dreams. And unfortunately, it's only going to increase during this difficult time. So I just wanted to take this moment to crap on multi-level marketing companies and some of these online business gurus who are telling you that you can become a millionaire if you just buy their online course. If it was that easy, we'd all be millionaires, guys. And I'm, I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted, but if anybody needs to listen to this, but that you know because they're falling down that trap where they've reached out to you because they've got a special opportunity for you. Sorry, I'm shooting, I'm shooting shots right now. Send them this clip and say, I'm talking about you. We, we, you, we know how this works. The only way that you make money isn't by selling the products and services that you have. It's by recruiting more people to your scheme. And the proof of that is because as soon as I asked, well, how many products have you sold, Mr. Business Guru, who's got your online training course? How much? What, what, can, I, can you just tell me the name of your company, which has made you millions of pounds so that I can search it on Google and maybe buy a product from you? It's nowhere to be seen. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, as, as I said, I think that's one of the areas that I'm passionate about because a lot of people are finding themselves in debt during this time because they've been reached out or someone's reached out to them with this great business opportunity, which has actually ended them uh, being even more in debt. Right it's, it's really unfortunate. No, no, no. It's, it's very apt and it's extremely unfortunate because we are living in a time period where people are desperate. And they're desperate for an aspect of their purpose to be fulfilled. And that aspect is financial security. Um, the aspect of their vision is financial security. And the reality is purpose is lifelong. Lifelong. Um, mm. Think of anyone who you think is successful based on your criteria of success. Um, is it over for them now? Um, if it is, how long did it take them to get there? How long did it take them to actually fully manifest their purpose? And unfortunately, we all do want quick wins, we want quick fixes. And if you're really in tune with delving into your purpose, it will be a lifelong journey. You, you mentioned Abraham, 
there's the likes of Noah, there's the likes of Moses. Each example just teaches us that you're, you're not going to race there. It's not a sprint. It's, it truly is a marathon where there will be bumps in the road. There will be expensive lessons, but it's all for a greater good in terms of what you can give, how you can serve. But continue to focus on that. I think the mistake that we often make is we're focusing so much on how much we can gather that we're not planting enough seeds. We're, we're eating the fruit too soon and too early. So that the are, vineyard never grows. We are consumers. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We are consumers and we are not producers. We've moved away from being producers. And you know, some people wonder whether entrepreneur entrepreneurship is for them. Entrepreneurship is a relatively new word and it's a fancy word for a small business owner. And there are small business owners up and down this country. And we now live in a world where corporations can employ thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. Um, but that is still a relatively new, a new phenomenon. It would be that in your small community, you would be responsible for producing X. You would be yep. responsible for producing eggs or tomatoes or beef or um, vegetables, etc. And that would be enough to sustain you. We obviously don't live in that world anymore. But the point that I'm making there is that there is no entrepreneurial archetype. Anybody who wants to be um, financially stable could find a route to that within some form of entrepreneurship. The problem is, is that when you're chasing a dream that actually isn't yours, that's been implanted to you by other people, then I think you are living a life which is incong incongruent to your, to your values and yep. your purpose as a result is going to be misaligned. Yep. Can I add that purpose has nothing to do with money? Um, and that what you will do might not... How do I frame this? I gave the case study of purpose being around teaching, around 17, uh, getting to 25, 26, realizing that purpose was a lot closer to the, a desire I had at five, which was to have financial stability and a home, the home per se, per se. I had no understanding about money. Um, and the venture which I pursued to get it was a way of fulfilling an element of purpose. But how, however, after completing it, I realized that that's not purpose. Um, because you could end up doing something which can raise capital, but you know that's not part of your purpose. So I think mm. it's important that everyone reflects so that you don't get disappointed. Can you do something, grind, hustle, whatever you call it, knowing that it's not part of your purpose, but it is a necessary step for you to achieve something which might key into your purpose. Yeah, maybe an illustration just to kind of round that out. When I was 18, I went to South Africa and I saved up a lot of money to, to go and I volunteered. I built a school in South Africa and it was one of the best experiences of my life. South Africa is a beautiful country. The children that I worked with were actually AIDS orphans. Um, they'd lost their parents um, to, to, to the virus and were some of the just most 
amazing children I'd ever come across, so full of joy and full of gratitude for people wanting to come and spend time with them. Um, and yet we, we built a school out there. And I remember thinking to myself that even at, at the age of 18, that I'd just saved up money to go to South Africa, live in paradise, work with amazing people and do something which was fulfilling. And many of the people that I was working with had done the same thing. And often we almost get things reversed, that we are now going to go back into an environment which is sterile, cold, um, lack of community, so that we can save up more money to go and live in paradise for a short period of time and actually help people. While I was out there, everything, I had, everything was paid for. I was provided with food, I was provided with housing, I was provided with, sh with, with shelter, clothing if I needed it, etc. But we often focus on how amazing these experiences are without realizing that that could actually be our full-time life. We say that yep. was a great experience. It's a shame I have to walk away. Why do you have to walk away? When you go on holiday to these amazing places like Guatemala or um, Hawaii, for instance, and you're like, this is an amazing experience. Couldn't we be here every day? And then you look at the locals that are living their life, maybe on a fishing boat, uh, etc., um, and realize that they are here every day. And they're content and they're happier than me. Yep. So yeah, I mean, I wanted to just illustrate the fact that you're absolutely right. The purpose has nothing to do with money. In actual fact, here in the West, we save money from our horrible, boring lives so that we can go and feel something. Uh, for me, I think I'd like to end on just a suggestion. We, we started on education, education, education. Um, good old Tony. Um who needs security guards every day of his life because yep. he is hated. <laughs> Anybody left and the right. Nobody likes Tony. Hated. Um, very well paid and charges a considerable amount to speak worldwide, but despised by all. There is a concept called philosophy for children and it, it links that idea of critical thinking. And I think it is something which in some education environments, it's taught and encouraged, but in, in many, it's ignored. Um, we can all learn numeracy, literacy, uh, some element of problem solving, but what we need more than anything is to pause and think hard. We need to be trained how to just step back and think, because the older we become, I'm experiencing it right now, the more factors and variables are just going to be revolving around us. And it's the individual who can stop and actually question, wait, which of these is actually for my good? Wait, do I actually need to be standing here right now? Um, being hit by all these uh, challenges and opportunities. I say opportunities because you can be hit by opportunities and actually you don't want to be hit by opportunities. 
I think critical thinking is something that we all need to actually invest time in. Um, just, just taking time to pause and think about what actually matters and, and categorizing them, documenting them and revising them. Because as you enter different phases and different stages, they will have to be reviewed. Um, listening to you, I realized that throughout my 20s, there's always been a challenge for balance. Early 20s, had a lot more time, um, rather healthy, um, stimulated educationally, uh, spiritually inept. And each three years has seen those three almost change position in terms of which is being fed, um, mind, body, and spirit, which is being fed the most, which one needs to be nurtured more. We need to all just stop. And lockdown forced us to do it. There is the good that came out of that. But now that we're back and we're encouraged to do bigger and better, that everyone, everyone needs to bounce back. Um, if you're not bouncing back, the government will give you a loan to bounce back. Get back on the rat race. Do we have to? I've got nothing else to add. I think we, we could definitely delve into this a little bit further, but I think that's a really good point to, to end on. This has been an interesting episode of the Expensive Lessons podcast. I think we've, we've uh, spent some time just reflecting. I think every once in a while we, we, we pontificate and gain, gain understanding about ourselves just by speaking out loud. So, bro, I want to thank you for that because, yeah, sometimes I surprise myself with some of the weird things that I say. And after a podcast episode, I need to go back and reflect on some of the things I said and understand, you know, do I believe that? And what does that, what does that mean for, for me? And yeah, I'm just grateful for that. I'm grateful for this space for allowing me to do that. Um, we're going to do an expensive questions episode soon. So based on this discussion or based on any discussion that we've had of late, feel free to get in touch with some questions for us because we really want to delve into that. Also, if you are interested in joining us on the podcast, Feel free to get in touch with us uh, on Instagram. I think we need to probably set up an email for this as well so that people can um, communicate with us via email. I'll, I'll have a think about that. But uh, um, Instagram, expensive underscore lessons on, in, on Instagram, send us a direct message or get in touch with us if you know us directly. And we'll have a conversation if you want to join or if you've got a question that you'd like us to, to pontificate about on the podcast. But brother... Thank you again for your time and uh, your encouragement at the start of my weekend or the start of my week. And yeah, I wish you all of the best, everybody listening. Have a great week and we'll speak to you next time. Take care. Stay blessed, people. Thank you, everyone.